Blog Talk Radio. From glory to glory, finding real significance in an image-driven world. That's coming up next right here on The Parker J. Cole Show. And welcome to the Parker J. Cole Show. I'm your host, the Queen Parker J. Thank you for joining me. Today we are going to be talking to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Bob Santos. You may remember him from the last episode we had him on called Greater Glory. He's talking about glory again today, but it's in a very unique way. There are some questions I want you to ask yourself as you prepare to hear the content of this particular broadcast. What do we mean by glory? What do you think it means to have an identity? How do these things correlate? You'll find out that and much more in just a few moments. As always, we want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for 10 years. As God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. As always, we covet your prayers. To stay up to date with PJC Media, simply go to pjcmedia.net. Click the pink follow button. You'll never miss a show. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for updates, uploads, and more. Go ahead, subscribe today. And without further ado, I'm going to bring Bob on board. Bob, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Parker. It's great to speak with you. It's great to have you back as well. Dear listener, when I was talking to Bob at our last episode, we were chit-chatting afterwards and we started talking about identity and how these things about identity politics, identity in general, and he had had this labor of love that he had written. And I said, well, we definitely have to talk about that. And so that's how this show came to be. But I probably would have just made any excuse to have Bob on board with me because I enjoy talking to him and really enjoy his insightful contribution to helping the church grow in Christ, reach the world for Christ, and belong in Christ. And that's through his various devotionals. So if you want to get a really good devotional, I want you to go ahead and pick up Community Prayer. That was a book that really connected Bob and I together. From that book, I learned how powerful prayer is and when the community of Christ prays together. There's another book that's available for free too, Bob. What is that? Uh, the Age of Abiding is a free book that I have available that provides a pretty much a, an overview explaining the logic behind the Christian faith. And so you can get those books for free by going to what website, Bob? SFME.org. Searchforme.org is our ministry website. We say search for me, but when we say search for me, we're not talking about finding our inner selves. We're talking about finding and gaining that relationship with Christ. When you were deciding that this is what the Lord wants you to do, this is where he's leading you, how do you think that impacted what you do right now when you write these devotionals and when you lead in Bible studies, when you pray for the community? How do you think all that led together? Well, I... A lot of it comes from uh, Jeremiah chapter 17 or 29, which is a pretty um, familiar scripture where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and, and, and prosperity to give you a future and a hope. But if you go on in that passage, it says, uh, 
you will find me when you come to me and search for me with all your heart. And I think one of the mistakes people make is they just assume that if they're a Christian, all they have to do is just kind of go through the emotions and everything's going to work out wonderfully in life. But what God's saying is if we really want to experience his blessings, we play an important part in seeking his face and seeking to understand his ways. So that's been a huge motivation for me throughout the years. One thing you said in our last interview, and I can't remember if it was just you and I talking or if we were talking through the podcast, but I do remember you saying that we are getting prepared in this life for the life to come. And it's not going to be a life of idleness, but a life of action. We just don't know what it looks like because God has not revealed that to us. And so these books are helping the Christian who already believes to take their faith seriously, to take their relationship with Christ seriously, to go deeper and deeper until we only find glory and our identity is in him. So this topic of glory and identity, what made you start wanting to delve into this particular issue? That's a really good question. Most of what I've written really begins with, I don't want to sound selfish, but begins with me in the sense of my own experiences. And I grew up in a very insecure environment, and I was very insecure as a person. And I didn't realize uh, until well into my Christian life how much damage it did to my walk with God. And so I began to dig deeper into this topic and found out a whole lot more than I ever expected that I would. When we talk about glory, what is the definition for we as humans come to mind? Yeah, there's two different elements to this, I think, that are important for us to get. One is uh, the idea of significance. We're, we're looking for a sense of significance. And in the biblical sense, uh, especially the Hebrew, it, it, it's like a weightiness to it, sort of as if you talked about somebody who was very significant or very weighty in society. That would be the, the essence of glory. But then there's also the element that is based on personal opinion. So uh, in many cases, when we think of glory, we're thinking about people lifting up and uh, almost idolizing other people in that sense. When we talk about identity, again, from a human perspective, what do we mean by that? Well, people don't just want an identity. They want a, they want a glorious identity. You know, nobody wants to be known as the... Um, the schmuck who had a bad play at the end of the game and lost the whole thing. It, that's, that's unique, and it's not, it's not positive. Uh, and so we want a positive identity. We want a glorious identity. We want something that validates us. So really, the whole quest for identity is a quest for glory. It's a quest to, to feel good about who we are because we feel like we are somebody of significance. So now that we know what the human connotation is with the terms for glory and identity, how do we have to now subvert our view of both of these and see it the way that God sees it? Well, that, I mean, that is a loaded question because there's, there's a lot of theology behind that. You know, the, the reason that we are in the state that we are where we're, um, we're seeking glory to the degree that we are really goes back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, they they separated themselves from the glory of God, 
And they also subjected themselves to a life of living up to standards where they're constantly trying to validate themselves through sta standards. Or not just they are weird. This is how humanity works, is that uh, we feel that if we measure up to standards, we are somebody of significance, we're, we're important, we're glorious. And so that affects our entire spiritual lives uh, in a huge way. Because of the complexity of this particular topic, you broke this down into a devotional. And as I was reading this book, it made sense that he did it because he builds each day from the next, from the previous day, I should say. And we're going to just go through the book. We're not going to get through it all, but I just want to show you just how much depth is involved with this particular book. Again, go ahead and pick up your copy of Glory to Glory, which is available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So you start off day one with faltering glory, and you tell the story about the Hindenburg disaster. And you put a quote in here, and it said, it bursts into flames, it's fire, and it's crashing, it's crashing, terrible. Oh, the humanity. And this is a quote by Herbert Morrison as he saw the destruction of 36 people in this Hindenburg ship that was supposed to be the epitome of glory at this time. What's the significance of this for this particular chapter of the book. Yeah, that, that quote's interesting. You could actually find that online. Uh, it's, it's a very emotional quote. But the idea here was that the Hindenburg was really, for the Nazi Germany, it was kind of like the height of glory. It was something that was uh, that elevated them, that gave them validity on the world scene and um, made them feel like they were superior. And so uh, that really, in many ways, is reflective of human nature and that we are looking for that sense of superiority but the actual glory itself is very fragile now here i'm going to read a quick excerpt here adolf hitler and his publicist had carefully crafted a war persona by publishing sparkly images of a cold-hearted dictator with majestic dogs adorable children and a tastefully decorated mountain estate tomato garden included history tells us however that Hitler's public image was a bold-faced lie, betrayed by his sinister programs. In addition to the tens of millions of people killed through the global war launched by the Nazis and their Axis allies, Hitler's regime mercilessly executed about 6 million Jews. So that's an excerpt from this first chapter in your book, but you also have a personal part of this historical event. Go ahead and tell listeners about that. Yeah, my, uh, I had a couple of uncles who were uh, in World War II, and my uncle Mick in particular was one of the Allied soldiers uh, who helped to liberate the Dachau concentration camp. And so uh, I don't remember him ever talking about that. He passed when I was young, but my aunts would tell me about that, and they said that it really scarred him. It really uh, had a, a powerful effect on him. What's interesting about this is you talk about how Hitler wanted to create a homogenous society of the Aryan race. And we know that just through history, over time, Nazis have become the pejorative for people who were dogmatic, ruthless. The epitome of evil is the Nazi legacy. However, you say something here. You say diversity might abound in our world, but so does similarity. Whether we speak of the oppressors or the oppressed, all who call themselves human share the basic desires for happiness, meaning, and freedom. 
sadly, all are also subject to traits which, if not handled wisely, will create all manner of dysfunction. And we can definitely see that here in the Nazi regime in Adolf Hitler. And there are other examples I'm sure you, dear listener, can bring to mind. So at the end of this chapter, what is it that you want the reader to understand about faltering glory and how that relates to our pursuit of glory mixed with identity? Well, first of all, that it's, it's common to all humanity that uh, we are all born with, this gets ahead a little bit, but we're all born with what I call glory deficiency, where we're looking for that significance. And when we live according to that mindset, it really creates a lot of damage and dysfunction in society, but we all have these tendencies. And so as a human race, we're pretty much on the same page uh, with the basic concept. So now I'm going to skip ahead to day three. And day three is about the king of glory. And as soon as I saw Psalms 24, I started to recite it in my head. And he goes, who is this king of glory? The, long, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O ye gates. And be lifted up the everlasting doors, and a king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. That's Psalms 24. I did not start from the beginning. I think I started from the middle. But that psalm just came to mind. And we also used to sing a song in church that was based off of this psalm as well. But we're looking for the king of glory, but we're also trying to get it for ourselves. And so you related a quote from an American Idol contestant, Chris Dottery. And he says, I can't compare myself to Elvis. And those of you who know, Elvis was considered the king of rock and roll. Not even a little bit. People put you on a pedestal. It's almost, it almost feels like you're being worshipped. Sometimes, which is not normal for a human being to deal with, not even a little. Now, if I may put a little humor here, Bob, I'm completely fine with being worshipped as a queen. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to humanity. <laughs> I just say others have that same feeling too. I think that's the ultimate quest of human nature. Yes, and that is, it's a very disastrous quest, but we still have it in us. And so we have to compare this quest for glory and look at the king of glory. So let's talk about that in this particular book. You talk about God's glory here. You say God is the rock star of the cosmos rendering all others mere pretenders. Go ahead and expand on that. There's nobody that compares. You know, when we when we think about this world, the people that we idolize and that we glorify, you know, you can talk about somebody like, like Elvis, or we can talk about football players or basketball stars or, you know, actors and actresses. It, it can be anybody. But we have this tendency to idolize and to glorify people. But the glory of humanity is borrowed. Any greatness we have actually comes from the king of glory, uh, who is God himself. And there is nobody, nobody, nobody in this universe that even compares to the smallest degree to the glory of our creator. Now, you use some Greek terms in this particular chapter, uh, kinodoxia. And what does kinodoxia translate to? Well, the whole idea has to do with, with glory. The um, doxa is the, the Greek word for glory. And, and again, it's heaviness and, and weightiness. And so uh, with God, it's inherent. But with humanity, it's, it's a quest. It's something that we 
we seek to borrow. Gotcha, gotcha. I just want to let our listeners know that Bob does go into the Greek and Hebrew words of glory and different elements in this book. So you're not just getting just a devotion to make you feel good. It's also to help you study about this thing and see how you align with your quest to serve the Lord in his glory or merely apprehend that in your own glory. So there's so much more to this. Now we're going to skip ahead a couple of days. We're going to go to day number eight. And this particular devotion is called the Day of Ichabod. And I was telling Bob before we started recording, I said, it's a shame that the first thing that came to mind was not necessarily the scripture, but the story and the movie Sleepy Hollow, Ichabod Crane. So go ahead and tell our listeners, for those who don't know, what's the big deal about Ichabod? Well, uh, the word, again, we're, we're getting into a little bit to the, to the language here, because uh, there's just so much theology involved in this idea of identity. But the Hebrew word for glory is kabod. And so the opposite of that would be without glory, which is Ichabod. And so that actually comes from the scriptures. It talks about uh, the time when the glory of God's left the temple. I think it's in the, the book of Ezekiel. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure that's where the name Ichabod Crane would have, would have come from. So here in this particular chapter, you have human glory is much like a fake vitamin with the exception that powerful moral ramifications are at play. Try to feel a significant void with vain human glory will never make us spiritually and emotionally healthy. We need the real thing. And we can only obtain that through the kingdom glory. So in this particular chapter, we're talking about how in the scripture, the Israelites had lost the Ark of the Covenant it was just a really dark time. And when this child was born, his mother named him Ichabod. And thankfully, the story doesn't end there because the end there would be a very short Old Testament. <laughs> and when you add the New Testament at all. But it just lets you know that in the darkest times, it is God who can also help us retain and restore our lost glory. So that was a really interesting way to bring that about. So go ahead, your list, pick up your copy of Glory to Glory, and you will not be disappointed. Now, we went further ahead. I'm going to skip to one of my favorites in here. And as soon as I saw it, I knew exactly where you're talking about. And that was day 10. And that was titled The Pale Blue Dot. And as a sci-fi lover and someone who likes science, this just really resonated with me. So I'm going to go ahead and let you explain what this particular chapter is about. Yeah, this, this really comes from um, Carl Sagan who was, you know, a cosmologist, studied the, uh, the universe, really intelligent. And he was also a very, very gifted communicator. But he was essentially telling the story of the Voyager 1 spacecraft that uh, had gone out into space. And at his request, the uh, NASA turned it around to take a picture of the Earth. And there in this, you know, expanse of space, is this very small pale blue dot uh, kind of hanging there, uh, which he identified as the earth. And so it, it speaks of our, um, in many ways, our insignificance when it comes to the scope of our universe. That recently happened again with the James A. Webb telescope when it took pictures of the galaxy. And many people particularly those who were not without, who had no faith, were having existential crisis. 
because they looked at the vastness of the cosmos and was wondering, how can I be significant in this great vastness? Whereas Christians, the ones I hang out with, we were like, look at the beauty of God's glory. Look what the Lord can do. He created all these galaxies and these clusters of galaxies. You can see how we can learn about the cosmos from our front door. We were just astounded by the same pictures. And I think that is remarkable that people generally who don't have faith will have these moments where you are forced to wonder, is there more to my life than what I currently think? Is there a hereafter? And you quote Carl Sagan here where you say, our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. You go on to say here, with uncommon perception, Carl Sagan recognized the vanity of fighting wars and spilling blood for the sake of fleeting glory. And then, of course, we got to go to Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanity. All is vanity. King Solomon came to that conclusion. Carl Sagan came to that conclusion. And we have two different extremes. But Carl Sagan, whereas he was saying, that's just it. We just have to accept that. The preacher in Ecclesiastes say, everything is vanity unless it does not have the Lord in it. So how would you put a pin on this particular part of the discussion? Well, first thing I would say is, why does it matter to us? You know, why do we even care about significance? You know, why, why even the atheist cares? Why? You know, if we just evolved from nothing, why is it so important for us to feel significant? And so I, I think that from that perspective, science really doesn't give us any answers. But theologically, uh, it's saying that, you know, even though we are virtually nothing in the grand scheme of the universe, we are significant because God has chosen to make us significant. And so you have this contrast, you know, back to the idea of kinodoxa, which means uh, self-conceit or empty, vain glory. We're either trying to establish that in this earth, or we're realizing that even though we are insignificant in the grand scheme of things, the king of glory, the one who created us, is chosen to give us significance. And in the end, that means everything. And I really like the way this chapter brought both the cosmological argument into the forefront, as well as the universe of our own bodies, if you will, because you talk about for Psalms, what is man that thou art mindful of him, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you bring it all together in this one chapter, this pale blue dot that's filled a bunch of, you know, melanated people from different shades of light to dark, and they can probe the cosmos and we find significance in that because God gave it to us. At the end of the day, God gave it to us. And I always say that if God really wanted to put us in a fishbowl, just surrounded by our own backyard, he could have did that. But no, he gave us a universe to explore, giving us the opportunity to probe the depths of his knowledge. How wonderful is that? And so I really like this chapter, uh, uh, Bob, I think it's one of my favorite ones, actually, because it just appealed to everything in me that just loves space and science and stuff. But then we have to take a dive here. And I don't say that 
lightly, it's a dive here because you talk about, first of all, the, the theological considerations of glory and how it relates to identity. Now we have to talk about how this affects us as people. And you talk about glory as a drug. And you begin this chapter, which is chapter 11, you begin this chapter with a story about a drug addict whose addiction eventually destroyed her. And then you say here, just as drug addiction leads to personal, familial, and societal dysfunction, so does glory addiction. Now let's talk about what glory addiction is. If you think about the one of the ideas behind uh, drug use is euphoria. You know, it's this heightened state of, of pleasure. And that's what glory really can produce in a person's life. You know, when you are the the object of glorification, if we want to put it that way. Let, let's say maybe you're on stage after a performance of a, a play or a song, and everybody's clapping, everybody's cheering. There's a euphoria that is involved in that, and it very much can become addictive in the sense that it doesn't last, that fades away, and so we're constantly trying to come back to that high. One thing you mentioned as well, is the human psyche cannot function well without routine injections of glory. So you talk about that. Then you also give us an opportunity not just to be burdened by this truth, but that there are steps we can take to break this pattern of being addicted to glory. What were those three steps? Well, one of the things first that we want to remember is that a life without glory is going to be a miserable existence. And I've, I've known some churches where all they focus on is how terrible uh, we are as sinners. And while there's truth in that, certainly, if that is our primary focus, we are going to have all kinds of issues with depression and anxiety and everything else. And so the key is not to live a life that is devoid of glory, but it's to learn to draw from uh, the glory of God in a way that doesn't elevate our egos and, and doesn't feed the spirit of pride. And so the, the three steps are, are very simple. Number one is just to be honest. You know, uh, if, I am, if I am in pursuit of glory, if that's my drive, I need to be honest about that and to confess uh, to the Lord the, the sin behind it because I'm trying to do it independently of him. And then number two is to seek an understanding of how God sees me, uh, because ultimately that's where real significance comes from, not from trying to find it in our performance or appearance or anything like that. It really comes from uh, the view, the eyes of our creator, the, the one who has made us glorious in his image. And then finally, uh, the secret is to give glory back to God. Because we don't own it within ourselves. It all comes to us as a gift from him. And so whatever good he does in our lives, uh, we don't have to deny that good. But we do want to turn the glory back to him, knowing he is the one, the only one who is truly worthy. You go deeper into this in later chapters of the book. And you talk about how we cannot earn our way to heaven through that chapter called Stairway to Heaven. You talk about the cancerous insecurity. You also talk about um, social righteousness. And in this particular chapter, we're not going to touch on it really because we're running out of time. But in this chapter, you talk about how a young man fell to his death while taking a selfie. And there are growing numbers of people dying from taking selfies. And 
you talk about how this has a lot to do with social media. It's a lot to do with trying to seek our own glory and human approval, human accolades. I could just say glory addiction. So it's just an offshoot of that. So dear listener, I encourage you to pick up your copy of Glory to Glory so you can go ahead and delve deeper into these things about glory, about identity. But lastly, we're going to finish with what I think is one of the important parts of the discussion. And it's day 19 called Roots of Conflict. Go ahead and set up what the reader is going to, ex- going to expect when they get to this particular chapter. Well, the idea behind it is that this, this pursuit of glory independent of God uh, not only puts us with odd, at odds with him, but it also puts us at odds with one another. And this ties into the social righteousness concept, but it's basically this, that we seek validation and significance by measuring up to standards, social standards. Uh, they're going to make us to be somebody in our own eyes and especially in the eyes of the world around us. And so all of this is rooted in a life of comparison and also judgment because we're constantly making judgments about who is good and who is bad, who is glorious, who is inglorious. And that very process creates a what I would call an elitist mindset where you have some who are of significance and you have those who aren't. And the judgments involved create uh, animosity between the two different groups. And so the people that are on the bottom rung, so to speak, who don't have significance, who are looking for significance, their way of protecting themselves from shame is often bound up in uh, resorting to violence in some sort in order to protect their own image. And we can see that play out when we see mass shootings in schools and in public places. And often the perpetrators of these crimes present a manifesto of why they did it because they want the glory in, in, in glorious glory, of course, but they want this false glory of look what I did. And they know that in some manner they'll go down in history for this awful act. And I was asking Bob before we started recording, I said, what is that step? Because I've been humiliated before. I've been shamed before. I've been hurt before. I've been rejected before, but never did I want to take violent means to make sure I can counteract those feelings that shame, humiliation, regret bring about. And what did you say to my query? I think that has a lot to do with the social support around us. You know, uh, if you look at this issue of violence, young men in particular, uh, most of it is young men who grew up fatherless, either without a father in the home or a father who was abusive or uh, distant or something along those lines. And so, uh, our social relationships, if, if we experience unconditional love from a good support network, it will often mitigate these effects or these tendencies towards violence that you're going to see as a result of feeling like somebody is an It goes off from there, dear listeners. So go ahead and pick up your copy of this lovely book that really delves into what glory is. It delves into the theological considerations. It brings examples from culture from media, just so many different ways to understand exactly what glory is. And by the time you're finished, you will be wondering, how did I miss this before? So go ahead and get from glory to glory, finding real significance in an image-driven world. And there's so much we could have delved further into this book. We just didn't have the time. So Bob, thank you again for being with us. 
just let people know where they can find you online one more time. Yeah, they can find us uh, through sfme.org, searchforme.org. And I just have one final word, Parker, to share, a uh, word of encouragement. And that's just the message of hope, that no matter who you are, no matter uh, how you've been treated in this world, no matter how much you feel like you come up short, there is a king of glory who loves you, who has a destiny for you, and who wants to lift you up and, and make you to be somebody of significance but it has to be on his terms. And so I would just encourage people to seek his face and to seek an understanding of his ways, realizing that he has so much for us, so much more for us than we realize. It reminds me of that scripture where he talks about my face, oh, thy face, O Lord, will I seek. And I love how you just ended this with just a message of hope that no matter what, we will find glory in Christ if we cling to him. And that glory will supersede our own uh, pursuit of significance. Bob, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. Really enjoyed having you. Can't wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you, Parker. Always a pleasure on my part. And we were talking today to Bob Santos about his book, From Glory to Glory, Finding Significance in an Image-Driven World. It's available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Go ahead, pick up your copy today. If you struggle with significance or finding significance in your life, if you struggle with insecurity, if you struggle with wanting to have purpose and, and wanting to make an impact in your life, but you don't know how, this book is for you. It will first help you understand what glory is, what identity is, how it relates to Christ, the pitfalls to avoid, and how you can get back on track if you have fallen. There's practical tips as well as spiritual guidance, prayer, and more. This book has everything. So go ahead, pick up your copy from Glory to Glory, Finding Real Significance in an Image-Driven World. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Parker J. Cole Show. You have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. And God bless. <music>